Welcome back to In The Ballpark. It is great to have your company. I am Serpers and you are joined by Maxi and Frizy for a massive grand final review episode where the Melbourne Football Club have finally broke their 57-year drought on the weekend, beating the Western Bulldogs in the grand final by a near-record-breaking 74 points. And gentlemen, as I join you, I think... The Melbourne Football Club, they are still partying hard. I think Frizy's got some news about the red eye back to Melbourne. But, gents, what an incredible grand final win that was by the Demons. And you two predicted the Demons to win, but I think we all messed up the margin part. That was unbelievable. Gents, well, we certainly did. I'm not even sure if our three margins combined equaled the final total of 74. Look, I don't think any commentator fan would have probably predicted that certainly not in the manner that we got it either that is for sure guys i was really hoping to have covered this week's show uh from a vacant melbourne uh, arrivals terminal at the airport this afternoon however due to not being an essential worker there i was actually removed from that facility a couple of hours ago so my dreams of uh, covering this week's episode from there have unfortunately been ruined. Nonetheless, we can confirm that the Ds have only just arrived back in Melbourne this evening, gents, some five days later. Goodness me. Don't think we need to bother with too much detail about what has likely occurred in between those last five days or so from that final siren. I do love the celebrations post a grand final, but what I couldn't believe was Watching some of the footage of the Demons players hitting the Perth nightlife, they were still wearing their Guernseys. Max Gorn was wearing his footy boots, and some of the players still had strapping on. Maxi clearly having a shower was not number one priority. No, as you know, mate, it was all about the nightlife. But <laughs> what a game. What is what are the last three games of the season? I was I think we spoke last week about the grand total of the margins in the preliminary finals. Now at, at the grand final to this. So yeah, what a game. What like violent swings of momentum. I couldn't I can't remember a grand final like it. The Western Bulldogs at one point, and we will get into the nitty-gritties of the game, kicked something like five goals in a row. And then the D's mm. at the 16-minute mark of the third quarter went absolutely ballistic and pretty much ran away with the game from that point onwards. Gents, the celebrations afterwards, we must touch on quite incredible. We saw Simon Goodwin on the shoulders of Max Gorn. Now, I tell you what, you'd be getting some vertigo being that high up on Max Gorn's shoulders, but the celebrations have been great. And how good is it for the fans as well, all around Australia that have been supporting the Melbourne Football Club for so long, finally seeing their team for the first time since 1964, winning that elusive premiership. And Incredibly, it is their 13th in their history, but it has been a long time in between drinks. Frizy, amongst all the scenes, what was some of your favourites? Gents, look, seeing the the classic image that we, we get every year, you know, captain and coach standing victorious, holding the cup in front of just a, almost like a, a city full of fans behind them. I, I love that image especially because just looking at that um on the surface, you, you wouldn't even know it was outside of Melbourne. It was really quite a spectacle. So to, to still have a lot of the same things that come with the grand final and grand final week, albeit in a different location, is is, is fabulous, to be honest. I look and I, I hear of all the, the footage that gets out and about in the in the days that follow of these of these players. Boys, what do we what do we think of that? 
Yeah, it was just a sign of the times. I mean, everyone's got a camera on them in their pocket these days. Um, I mean, <laughs> did you see the Melbourne Storm boys <laughs> got in a fair bit of trouble this weekend? So, yeah, it's just the nature of living in 2021. So I don't think there's too much you can do about it. It was very interesting, gents. I like the little parallel. So Freed from Desire was a song that the Western Bulldogs were dancing to in their change room after their Port Adelaide win. And there they were jumping up and down, celebrating their massive preliminary final win. And as they should, it was an absolutely brilliant performance. But I loved how the Ds did their own rendition of it. And it was almost a parody to Western Bulldogs saying, hey, you guys might have celebrated a little bit earlier. You probably should have waited another two weeks for this. But, yeah, love those little symmetries. But, yeah, they've certainly celebrated pretty well, haven't they, gents? The fans that are here in Melbourne, um, the home fans, they, they, they won't forget it. They'll hold that celebration in 2024 if they have to. I mean, just is the significance of this. Boys, can I just say, I, I really haven't seen a game ebb and flow perhaps as much as this in terms of the the nature of it when you consider how um i i guess you could say melbourne looked like they had the bulldogs really shaky early on and of course got out to that 21 point quarter time lead they were then down as we know for a significant portion after that to to in fact be three goals down in the in the second half of that third quarter guys you've probably seen the numbers already but since that point it was 100 plays seven. So 16-4 against one goal one followed thereafter for the rest of the match. Now, that is clinical and one-sided dominance, as you'll find. Yeah, it was crazy. So even in the first quarter, it was four goals to one, and we were, we, we were thinking, geez, the Bulldogs are already in strife. And then second quarter, it's six goals to one, the Bulldogs favourite. You think, geez, we've got a game here. And then in the third quarter, I think the Dogs got, was it 19 points up and they had an opportunity to go inside 50, which they botched and Melbourne went to the other end and scored. And then that famous um, third quarter, which I think all Demons fans will remember for, for the rest of their life, they kicked seven goals to two. And then the fourth quarter, the Dogs just couldn't get their hands on the ball. I think they'd probably given up and it was nine goals to one. So, yeah, it was just, it was the swings in this game were almost, they were, they were violent swings in the game. And you mentioned right there something that I think was was critically uh, important early in that last quarter. When when do you think it was, guys, perhaps that moment that you knew that the Bulldogs have dropped their heads so, so much to the point that there's there's no returning from this? I, I got the impression it was as early as the first couple of minutes of that that fourth quarter, maybe even after the, the first goal that Melbourne had scored. From from then on, I think fans of both sides or just the average viewer probably knew this this was only going one way. It was all in the midfield in that, I think, that 30-second period where they piled on three goals and really opened up the game from the centre bounces. We were saying before we went on air that Max Gorn wasn't in the centre square and I was Marcus Bontempelli. So you had a very young, equally emerging the rising star of this season, Luke Jackson, doing all the clearances. And most of those tap-outs went straight to, as we know, the Norm Smith medalist, Christian Petrarca, and also Clayton Oliver in the middle there, getting their hands dirty and getting it forward. And it was just remarkable, gentlemen. But, gee, what great confidence for Luke Jackson to be able to do that in the biggest moments of all, right towards the end of that third term, where they, as we mentioned, backs against the wall, set up pretty much all three of those goals. It's quite remarkable from such a young player who, yes, went very high in the draft, but still remarkable effort. We hear many a time that, you know, finals often define or can define players' careers, what their 
perhaps remembered for the most and can shape young careers in many ways. And for for that young man, uh, that is a potential breakout sort of game. It was three goals in, I believe I heard correctly, guys, 32 seconds of actual playing time. Three goals were scored. Now, I, I don't know what the exact records are on this sort of stat, but that that almost feels impossible to achieve. The superstar Norm Smith medalist was Christian Petrarca, but we should probably talk about some of the unheralded stars in this lineup. And for you gentlemen in that Melbourne football club lineup, what were some of the players who may not have got in those top three votes in the Norm Smith, who really stood out for you on the day and, and probably were quite pivotal in this massive win and probably all the momentum that they had throughout the final series. One of the ones I was most impressed with was um, Angus Brayshaw. I think he, Sometimes, like, throughout the season, you check his stats and you think, geez, he's getting, like, seven or eight touches some games. But he plays that really important role. He's almost just, like, he's almost like a guardian of that outer wing. But um, he had 25 on the weekend and kicked a goal, big clutch goal. He sort of went back with flight and, and kicked that really big set shot, some sort of, like, 45 out and a 45-degree angle. But I think Christian Salem was in the votes from memory. But um, he had a really good first quarter. And he was. He was. He got like, one. Yeah, when you sort of think of Christian Salem, you sort of think of, you know, that outside sort of halfback flanker who just uses his foot skills. But, like, he's sort of really come on this year, especially with his physicality. Like, he's not he's not like a really strongly built bloke. He's still somewhat lightly framed, but he sort of gets more involved than he has in previous seasons in the physical contest side of things. But, um, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, Jackson in that third quarter and also um, Ed Langdon's last quarter, I think, thought was, like, Really incredible. You just saw, I think it was that goal that he kicked from the set shot when he started the play in the back pocket. But um, yeah, you, you could go through pretty much all of Melbourne. They're all good. They were. And as you mentioned, Angus Brayshaw, hard to believe a couple of seasons ago, he was racking up 30 plus disposals in that midfield. And I think he may have came second or third in the Brownlow medal as well, which surprised uh, yeah. a few people. But obviously he was really great that season for the Demons. But it just goes to show they found him a really good role on that wing. And he at very crucial times, put his body on the line and was almost disregarding his body at times, throwing himself into packs and probably stopped a few goals from going through from the Bulldogs and then took that incredible, almost a cricket dive in the forward line to kick that really crucial goal when Melbourne went on that massive run that they did. Frizy, for the Doggies, it looked at one stage there that it could have been a, a toss of the coin between Marcus Bontempelli and Adam Trelaw for the Norm Smith medal. They were pretty incredible until... Pretty much the whole team was silenced. Adam Trelaw did certainly play a, a super game, didn't he? I suppose very difficult to even consider Bulldogs players in the in the voting numbers. You know, when you get a result like that, it just tends to be the way it is. Not necessarily saying it's it's right or or not, um, but as we know, similar to the Brownlow voting process, just seems to be the the way that it goes. I thought both of the Baileys had solid games as well. Not that there should be any real surprise there, particularly what we've come to expect from both of them. Uh, just on Christian Salem, yeah, I think a great, great point. Yeah, very consistent, very underrated at times. He received a vote on the panel from none other than Harry Taylor, the former cat who, of course, knows a lot about performances in grand finals. So what I'm wondering, gents, is the, the five-person panel that, we see each season make up the Norm Smith medal voting. Do, do either of you guys know, know how the panel is determined in terms of who who sits it each year? The only person that I know who was on it was Cal Toomey, who's just a journalist. So I think they select people who some are journalists, some are past players, some are past coaches. So 
yeah, but I think at the end of the day, I think they judged this medal pretty well. It's been a tick over eight years since the then-embattled Melbourne Football Club asked master coach Paul Roos to lay the foundations of a strong defence and culture before handing over the coaching reins to Simon Goodwin. Five years after Paul finished his coaching tenure at the Demons and 57 years after Melbourne's last premiership, here it is, Melbourne R Premiers. Paul, welcome to In the Ballpark tonight. And how does it feel to be a part of this club's remarkable turnaround? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, watching Saturday nights and uh, seeing the result. Yeah, and then remembering back to where we sort of started with uh, Glenn Bartlett, Peter Jackson, and a lot of staff that some of which are still there, some aren't. So, yeah, I reflected that on a lot, particularly after the prelim. And then once they won the premiership, it was, yeah, just a lot of great memories coming back, a lot of thoughts about the good times and the not-so-good times, I guess, and a lot of Melbourne people reaching out, which was awesome too. And I've got a lot of friends, obviously, that are Melbourne supporters, having spent three three years there and, and now really understand the history of that footy club. When you first got to the club, just came off, I think it was a two and twenty year, and they only had uh, it was they finished with a percentage of fifty four percent. What was it like when you first came in? Was it chaotic or was there a sense of we've got a mission to do? Yeah, I think everyone knew how you know the challenge in front. I think because Glenn Bartlett was was in place, Peter Jackson was the CEO, so they were really calm characters, and like Peter and Glenn painted a yeah picture for me that was really honest. So no one yeah no one was sugarcoating it. Everyone knew how hard it was going to be over the next three to four years. And, you know, I think that was the best part about it. Everyone was really honest. So we, we absolutely knew we had a lot of work to do and uh, no one was sort of skirting around that. And I think that allowed us to just get to work, roll the sleeves up, get to work. And, that, you know, a lot of really, really good people at that at the club at the time. As I said, some are no longer here, but they significantly contributed to the to the success of the footy club that they had on Saturday night. What was Maxi gone like when you first got to the club? Because... Did you, did you sort of see him becoming a five-time All-Australian Premiership captain or was he the bloke that, you know, we sort of hear about the larrikin who was smoking darts in his car before training? Did you see him going on to be the player that he is? Or Yeah, I think he was sort of past that larrikin stage. He still had a real fun element around him, but I, I saw nothing but someone that was really committed to the footy club, really worked hard. Yeah, and obviously he had a fair bit of work to do on his game itself when I first arrived because I think he'd come off two knee reconstructions. So mm. it had been pretty tough as well. So, look, he just worked hard, really popular member of the team. Yeah, probably the game where he got in the team eventually and played really well at Geelong. Yeah, we knew he had enormous talent. You know, there's no question about that. And then when his work ethic matched it and the fact that he got a run and didn't have injuries, you know, so it's probably not completely surprising because of the talent level he had and he was always you know, a good leader and players loved playing with him and associated with him and training with him so it's just exciting to see where he's got to as a player. Just while we're on Max Gorn, I mean the celebrations after the jubilation of this win, we saw Angus Brayshaw having a cigar, we saw Michael Hibbert drinking out of the Premiership Cup, probably one of many and we saw the coach on the captain's shoulders. Now, Paul, did you ever get on Barry Hall's shoulders after the 2005 Premiership? No, I don't, I don't think so, but it's hard to... I mean, it's really hard to put into words. You know, the excitement of winning a grand final is just incredible. You know, it's good for anyone, but it's good, you know, particularly for a team like Sydney for 72 years and, and Melbourne 50-odd years because you're carrying that weight on your shoulders, you know. So you could sense the players knew it, the coaches knew it, the footy club knew it. And, you know, it's hard to know how you're actually going to react in that moment. And it was great to see the enjoyment, the excitement, the spontaneity from the coaches and players. That's terrific, Paul. Uh, if, 
If I may just touch on uh, more recently with the D's, at the conclusion of both the 2019 and 2020 seasons, uh, was was there any uh, sort of feeling from yourself perhaps that that maybe fearful that this group might be you know missing their their chance right now sort of thing, especially after the 2018 effort to end up in a preliminary final? Yeah, I was always really confident in the talent. The talent was assembled by Todd Viney and Jason Taylor. I mean, we saw it. It's an elite talent. And then they added, you know, obviously May and Lever post you know, me leaving. So they've got an incredibly talented team. And, yeah, they lost their way for a couple of years. And a lot of it was due to injuries. I mean, what we do know now is the health of the team is so important. Not only when they get on the field, but have they had a pre-season, you know, having been in the game for so many years, I understand the importance of, of you know, that starting in November and, and getting the three, four months leading, you know, it, it's imperative. So it's not only just getting the players on the field in round one, it's actually how fit they are in round one. And I think for the previous two years, they've really struggled to get their best team on the field. And you've got a coach that's learned a lot and players that have learned a lot. But yeah, this hasn't surprised me at all because uh, yeah, I could certainly see it coming towards the end of my tenure and the first two years, Goody took over, as you said, it was nearly a final in a, a 2018 preliminary final. So the talent was already always there. And I think this is just great vindication of you know, the coach and the players and the closeness of the group and the work they've put in over a period of time. That's for sure. Certainly uh, certainly evident now from what we've seen the last two seasons, all things considered. Do you have a preference or, or perhaps a, a strong stance in regard to the nighttime grand final? Yeah, I'm a traditionalist, um, 100%. You know, day grand final for me, um, having played in one in 96 and coached one in 2005. There's no question in my mind that it's the tradition of the AFL has been lost a bit the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, hopefully if it's back in Melbourne next year, it'll be back to the day game. Now, at the start of this year, Ruzi, you joined North Melbourne. Do you see or see any similarities between when you first joined Melbourne at the end of 2013 to joining North Melbourne at the start of this year? I think I think they yeah, lost their first eight games by some pretty big margins. Were there any similarities? Yeah, certainly when I... Uh, came to the North Melbourne Football Club, obviously on the back of um, last year and a disappointing year. And, yeah, it was a really tough year in the hub. Obviously, I had a new coach in Reece Shaw, who I know really, really well. So, yeah, I think similarities in the fact that they're really just trying to reshape their footy club. You know, new CEO, Ben and Mafio is terrific. You know, Brady Rawlings was a new football manager. Reece Shaw was a new coach. So, you know, when I got there, sure, he was just, yeah, just finishing. So then we got another that first-time coaching, David Noble. So, yeah, like I, I really like the people there. Yeah, the players, fantastic group of players. And probably from a talent point of view, you know, if you look at the, the draft picks, you know, Jai Simpkin, Taron Thomas, LDU, there are probably a couple of drafts ahead of Melbourne, you know, in terms of where when we first arrived. I think, you know, it was Salem and, and Tyson the first year and then the next year was Brayshaw and Petrarca and then Oliver. So, they're probably a couple of drafts ahead of where Melbourne is, but certainly, yeah, absolutely some similarities between the two clubs and, and yeah, when I started at Melbourne, when I started at North Melbourne. From those very early days at Melbourne, obviously the, the skill execution on the field was quite difficult. How big was the gap when you got to Melbourne with those kind of aspects and, and how were you able to address those? Yeah, look, I was, I was fortunate to bring in four coaches from Sydney, which was really important. Ben Matthews, uh, Brett Ellison, George Stone and Daniel McPherson, who's still there. So that was really important. But look, I couldn't speak highly enough of the playing group, you know, and, and David Misson was there, who was my fitness coach at Sydney. You know, some of the people I've already talked about, Josh Marnie was a good footy manager. It was probably just teaching them how to play AFL football. They had really good training standards, really good people, but 
yeah, just their on-field performance and their lack of knowledge about how to actually play acceptable AFL football. Yeah, as you said, the percentage is sort of 54, which means you're pretty much getting doubled every time you play a game of football and you've only won two games. So that was our main focus, is just teaching them how to play the game at a really high level. And yeah, some survived, some didn't survive, but yeah, I couldn't speak highly enough of particularly the two captains when I first arrived, Jack Trengove and Jack Grimes, were fantastic people. Nathan Jones, again, just a, an absolute superstar from a player point of view and a person. So I was really lucky. But yeah, it was challenging because we just had to really reteach them. Some of them had some really bad habits from you know, when they were younger and, and going through. So yeah, that, that was the main thing, just reprogramming their game day habits, showing them how hard they had to work and run and set up defensively, win contested ball. Yeah, but they, they were good learners and good listeners. So that made a little bit of yeah. What were some of those bad habits that you just spoke about? I think it was just their lack of running, you know, in game day. You know, they, they just didn't have a clue how to run on game day. You know, that, that was that was probably the biggest gap that we saw, you know, that, you know, whilst uh, other teams and certainly the Swans, who were the benchmark at the time under John Longmire, you know, we just used to show them vision of the opposition team, show them vision of Sydney and how hard their players ran in transition, offense to defense, defense to offense. And, yeah, we just had to reprogram their game style running and on the back of that, you know, how we wanted to set up and win contested ball and set up really quickly defensively and and then move really quickly into offense. So it just took time to be able to do that. How do you feel um, for Nathan Jones going through the, the last few months or so? Yeah, really tough. I mean, I, I had a similar situation but a bit different with Stewie Maxfield. Stewie Maxfield was the captain at, at Sydney in 2003, couldn't play in a grand final in 2005 because uh, of an injury. And obviously watching Nathan as a captain when I was there and just one of the best people I've ever met in footy to miss out on the grand final, yeah, it was really hard to watch. Um, I would have loved to have seen him play and I'm sure all Melbourne people would have loved to have seen him play as well. But yeah, it was really, really sad to see him not play and I haven't spoken to him since, but I'm sure yeah, it was bittersweet. He would have loved to see his teammates. He's a great team person. He would have been so excited, but I'm sure deep down he would have loved to have been out there, no question. Yeah, obviously everyone feeling for Nathan Jones at the moment. I'm sure he'll celebrate with the guys when when Melbourne get back. And have you have you reached out to anyone personally from the club? People like Todd Viney and Josh Marnie would reached out and Goody and Gary Pert, who I played a lot of footy with as well. And yeah, Jason Taylor. So yeah, look, it's it's amazing. It really is. And I think when you know the history of the footy club and been involved, particularly when it was really tough times. Uh, you understand the, the change that has happened at the footy club and the amount of work that's gone in, and it's just so pleasing. And all, all, the, all the fans, I mean, I couldn't be happy for all the fans, and it's just it's so exciting. I've got a lot of friends at Barrett from Melbourne, obviously, from a time there, and a lot of really close friends. So it's great to, to chat to them now and speak to them and text them backwards and forwards. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Like watching the Carlton process from afar, and obviously, I don't know if you know Vossie well at all, but, um, how would he be feeling, like, sort of knowing that he was Carlton's probably second option behind Alastair Clarkson? Would that affect you at all going into a job knowing that you were probably the second option? I don't think so at all because I think all of us understand in coaching that Clarko's four premiership sort of trump anything that any of us have done, you know. So I don't think anyone would be um, yeah, critical of the Carlton footy club to, to go after Clarko and, and then Clarko saying no, then obviously... Yeah, the, the field opens up and so no, not at all. I think Bossy is a yeah, we really confident in his abilities. His second time round, you know, he would have learned a lot from his Brisbane Lion days, there's no question. Had a really good grounding at ports, uh, under Kenny Hinckley and 
they've been pretty successful without winning a premiership. So, yeah, I think he's well-placed to have a second crack at it, which is great. And how optimistic are you about North Melbourne next year? I know you mentioned that midfield before. I think they've got Simkin, Taron Thomas, Davies Uniac, Phillips, Stevenson, Powell, and they've got pick one. I'm not sure they'll probably go. It sounds like they're going to pick Horn Francis, and they're building a sort of decent forward line with Larky. I think Coleman Jones is coming in and Zerha. So how do you think you'll go next season? Yeah, I think they'll bounce relatively quickly. I mean, like any club, I, th- I think it's a case of a you know, pro- process. You know, David Noble... Terrific coach, very process-driven. I love that. You know, it's not not going to be necessarily about the wins. It's going to be teaching the players how to play. But I think the names you've said, they've certainly assembled a lot of talent. Now it's about just continuing that teaching, continuing to teach them how to play AFL football. You know, obviously Melbourne have done it, so they're the benchmark now. So you're looking at them and saying, okay, what do they do really well? What do the dogs do really well? Uh, but I think they're really well-placed over the next two to three years to, to really get back, you know, in the top half of the ladder. What do you reckon is like the main learning that you think applies from what you learn at Melbourne to where North Melbourne are currently at? I think it's the process is similar anywhere. And I think probably the main thing is that, yeah, you, you can't get, it's like climbing a ladder. You can't jump on the sixth run of the ladder without going one, two, three, four, five first, you know. So you've got to lay the foundations of your footy club. Yeah, that's behaviours and standards and relationships and and there's a process you have to go through and then game plan. You've got to win, win, win contested ball. You've got to be a really, really fundamentally sound defensive team and you've got to score off the back of turnovers really quickly. You know, get the ball back high up the field, win centre bounces, win clearances. You know, and it doesn't change at any footy club. It's just whether you can actually you know, weather the storm. It's a, it's a high-pressure industry and there's a lot of people trying to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So, yeah, I think David Noble's an exceptional coach. He's got some great people at the footy club and, as you mentioned, they've got some talent. Jack Siebel's had a fantastic year. He's a great captain, so their leadership group's been impressive. It's a process. You can't fast-track it and, and they'll get there when they get there. Now, for all those Demon supporters that are out there listening and they'll love to hear your opinion on this one. Now, what are your predictions for this Melbourne club over the next five years, potentially, can they replicate the Richmond brilliance in your mind and can they go again and can they sustain a bit more success and stay in the top four for, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think your first goal as a footy club is to continually get in the top eight and top four and I think they're really well-placed to do that now. You know, And again, health is really important. We've seen that. So there's no question they've got the talent. Uh, they win a premiership now, which gives you confidence in your, you know, the coaches will have more confidence in the players, the players and the coaches. So there's no reason why that, you know, over the next four or five years, they'll continually definitely be top eight and, and shooting for top four. And when you're in the top four, you give yourself a chance. It was like some really big margins in the last few games of the year. Do you think that's like gaps in the best teams or is it just like teams capitalising on momentum? I think momentum is so important. The 6-6-6 means... Yeah, once you get centre bounces, we saw Melbourne just in the space of three or four centre bounces got back in the game. At the moment, it's real talent v talent, you know, because of some of the changes to the rules. And But I think that'll change. You know, we'll probably maybe see some run with players coming back in. We'll see some more tactics coming back in the game. I mean, coaches are smart. They learn from what's happened. Yeah, we've had a really lopsided final series apart from a couple of games. So I think the coaches now will change some of the tactics moving forward. And, you know, um, and we always see that year in, year out. Now, we're just going to finish with some of our quick-fire questions. And first and foremost, the 2022 Premiers in your eyes, Paul. Yeah, great question. Well, it's hard to go past the two teams played in the grand final, really. Yeah, so Melbourne and Dogs are really well-placed, so it's, it's got to be one of those two. And, Paul, you can't say North Melbourne, and I don't think you will, but the 2022 Wooden Spooners. Gee, that's, that's a harder question, to be honest. I think there'll be a logjam, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, I think that's a 
that's that's too hard a question because I think we're seeing teams that are bouncing back really quickly. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know who you're looking at the bottom teams this year were North and Adelaide and Suns. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you know some of those teams. Yeah, knocking on the, the, the borderline of the eight. So I'll probably answer it slightly differently. And the biggest improvers in your eyes of 2022? So let's forget North, because I'd say North, but people say, oh, you're involved in the club. So let's park that for a minute. I think Collingwood, potentially, to be honest. I, th- I think they've got a still a pretty good list and, and pretty good players and had a lot of injuries this year. So I'll pick Collingwood. Now, who's most likely to coach again, Ross or Clarko? Well, I think Clarko. I think Clarko said he's take a year off and definitely come back in and so I'd say Clark go by a whisker and, and obviously Ross had a yeah, a little bit of a thought this year about putting it back in and then decide not to. So look, I, I definitely go Clark go. Non AFL related ones here. How many times a day have you been shaking it? <laughs> <laughs> the man shake. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a good stock of man shake, which is great. So uh, I can highly recommend it. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Very well Very done. Gents. Looking at the Bulldogs, and we've we've got to address the Bulldogs because they are the team that have not only lost the grand final but have lost by 74 points. Is it pretty simple for them? I think, Maxie, you made a really good comparison last week on our show about the Hawthorne sides when they won their three grand finals and then obviously that slightly premature one, as a lot of people said in 2008, and, of course, the Bulldogs winning in 2016, losing in 2021. Can they get those little pieces of their puzzle right, do you believe? And is it as simple as just grabbing a couple of key position players to potentially get them back into that window? You look at the Bulldogs list and you think, geez, these blokes are going to be contending for a long time, considering Jamari Hagen was a number one pick. He barely played this year and they're going to get Sam Darcy, who from all accounts is a top three pick this year. I think they'll be in the top four for the next at least, probably two or three years at least, and they've got a bright future beyond that. So... I don't think they need to get carried away. This demon side looks like a pretty special team and they're up by 19 points halfway through the third quarter. So, yeah, I think the Bulldogs, will be a, they're going to be right up there for the next few years and I don't think they need to overreact to this. In a position and with the capacity on their list at the moment that suggests, well, for the next several years, every chance they could be right up there competing and contending as as, as they did this year and... Uh, I think, gents, as far as uh, next year goes, anyhow, our uh, our expert guest this week has probably summed that up very well, I think. Paul Ruse, our special guest, he did the special here it is quote. And, gents, Mr. Basil Zemplis, the Lord Mayor of Perth, he might have missed a little bit of a trick. He had a shocker, Basil. Like, it was obvious to everyone because only a few moments later, Channel 7 with Brian Taylor were giving... um. Simon Goodwin an interview. So obviously, you know, up the chain of command, they've obviously realised, Basil, you've stuffed it up. Get Brian out there as soon as possible to interview Simon Goodwin. But yeah, it was one, it was a terrible mess. The rush and the, the heat of, uh, you know, the the match day, pre and post match schedule, things like that can can sometimes um, be be missed. But goodness, hasn't this received some attention and some some wild treatment over social media, boys? My goodness. There it is. What a quote. It's a great line, that, isn't it? It's a great line. Shows you how long a process. When it seems like sort of starting from scratch, everyone sort of says, oh, maybe in four or five years. But in reality, Paul Roos joined Melbourne at the end of 2013. And they've only just won their first premiership in 2021. So, yeah, it shows it's it's a it can be a long process. And, gents, 
with Melbourne, can you see them doing this again? I know we asked the question to Paul Roos, but looking at their list, looking at the age profile, not too many players from that list. In fact, probably none are going to be retiring next season. Gents, pretty impressive spot that the Demons are in. Will they go on and, yeah, you look at this team and who's probably the oldest player? It's probably Michael Hibbert or someone like that. But, yeah, they've got a pretty sustainable game style. Is it the huge momentum swings or is it just the fact that Melbourne are that much better than the rest of the competition right now? So they're in a really good spot to be competing for the next few years. I don't think this feels like a perhaps a, a one-off. I think most people are of the belief that Melbourne can carry this forward for some time. They've got an absolute superstar in Christian Petrarca, who we must touch on because he was the Norm Smith medalist. And I don't think there was too much doubt in anyone's mind that he was the best player on the ground. I mean, let's just read through the stats alone. I mean, his ranking points for the game was 161, which is the second most in his career. Disposals, 39. At one point, I think it was at 40, but I think they adjusted it towards the end of the game there. Career high. 39 disposals, might I add. Contestant possessions, 24. Also a career high. Metres gained, 897 metres, if you don't mind. And that is also a career high. Inside 50s, we saw those amazing clearances that he had. 11, and that is an equal career high. And then 15 score involvements, gentlemen, an equal career high as well. So if there was any doubt in your mind that that was his best game of his career, well, that just blows it out of the ballpark. He breaks games open. He breaks finals open. My goodness me, he breaks grand finals apart. It is bringing to that side everything that we suspected, uh, perhaps everyone but St Kilda. I don't know what happened there, gents. If I recall, was that I think at one point in that last quarter, a free kick was paid for a throw. Now, it may not be the case, and it could be quite unlikely, really, that that, that this is the, the situation here, but perhaps was was a, a handball recorded as such next to Petrarca's name, and then on review, we've we've realised that's a throw, and that's why it's been removed. I'm not really sure what the, what the process is here. If you think it's a throw, that could well be the incident that champion data are referring to, but I reckon pretty stiff, because I tell you what, 40 looks better than 39, but even still, what a game-breaking performance from Petrarca, Maxi. He couldn't help but sort of drawing some sort of similarities between Dustin Martin last year, and even, even the last, what was it, 2017 and 2019, where he's won the Norm Smith, and you just thought one of the Melbourne midfielders get off the chain, then surely Dunkley's going to go to him. And to be honest, Harms didn't really, it wasn't a really hard tag on Libra either. So neither team sort of went with a really hard sort of lockdown player. But yeah, he, he was awesome. And as I said, he was sort of, he was dusty-like. That um, that dribbling right foot banana along the ground in the, was it the third quarter he kicked? It was sort of, sort of reminded me of, I don't know if you blokes remember, um, I think it was the Hawthorne Collingwood preliminary final when Buddy Franklin kicked that goal. Sort of reminded me a little bit of that one, but yeah, that was one of the best Norm Smith um, medal performances you'll ever see. I don't think it's that common, is it, that uh, five, three voters are handed out just like that. And gents, we were speaking before about this final series because Melbourne have had a completely dominant final series. I'd love to see the average of all these games put together. It would be well over 60 points. But looking at percentages in grand finals. I mean, Richmond had an incredible 302% in 2017 when they won that first premiership. 
Geelong, 277% in 2007. Obviously, that 144-point win in the grand final would have helped that percentage quite a bit. The Brisbane Lions had 161% in 2001. We like to forget about that one, gents. And Hawthorne, 135% in the 2013 final series. Of course, keeping in mind that that grand final was pretty low scoring because, of course, it was a Ross Lyon grand final. But Melbourne, in this grand final and the grand final series as well, 213%. So obviously just goes to show the dominance of these teams in their scoring. The losing team happens to be three goals in front late in the third quarter. It just doesn't happen. Hence the astounding nature of this game, fellas. But this sort of thing in a grand final, I know the big margins and significantly bigger than this, we've seen plenty of times. But I think just the way that which this happened, as we as we discussed earlier, you know, the, the drastic swing in the momentum of a game, uh, almost unheard of type of thing. They haven't really got any injuries, which, you know, we were just talking to Ruzi and he said that was one of the biggest factors in their success, that they had a clear run. I think there was like a lot of news articles about how many Melbourne players <laughs> were fit to start the season. I think they only had something like 10 people out on the track and the rest were heading surgeries and that was probably one of the main factors that them having one of those terrible years, which in the end did land them Luke Jackson and Cosie Pickett. So it wasn't the worst, wasn't the worst thing to have to do. It must be said now looking at that premiership team, I mean, they've got such a young profile and I think that's why, you know, there's plenty of sustained success ahead and there are a lot of players within that side like your Cosby Pickett, who had a relatively quiet day. They will just continue to improve if they continue to keep their good players on the park, Max, as you touched on. There should be some good sustained success here. But as you know, grand finals are really hard to get to and there's no guarantee that they'll be there next season. But, yeah, what an incredible run. It's been a joy to watch them do this. And, yeah, certainly going to be a very exciting season next season. And as Ruzi touched on, it's going to be a bit of a logjam as well for the top eight. So it's going to be a very competitive and hopefully very exciting season next season, gents. Can fully expect that logjam that uh, Paul spoke about and we have before in that sort of bottom part of the eight and you know just outside it look hopefully for the sake of the competition there's a similar one vying for the top four or top six well gents another grand final and another season down which of course means the next focus will be on the trade period and the draft and then eventually the afl 2022 fixture will be released and i'm sure all eyes will be on that but until then gents we are going to give our fans a little rest and we will be back for the trade period wrap, which is going to be huge. What clubs will come out of that victorious? And of course, once the trade period is over, we will give our almighty predictions. And we got a couple right this season. So let's hope we get a couple more right next season. Gentlemen, what an incredible journey it has been going through the final series, returning after a bit of a hiatus and being back in the ballpark for this final series. It has been an absolute joy as always. Fryzy and Maxi, appreciate your time as always. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks, boys. An absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, look, six, six months to process this downright bizarre grand final that we've just had. Nonetheless, it was very exciting. And as far as predictions, well, we'll, uh, we'll be far better placed to make those, I think, uh, in the coming months, that's for sure. Definitely, gents. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you to Paul Roos as well for joining us on In The Ballpark. No doubt our biggest In The Ballpark guest. We absolutely love what Paul Roos has done for the AFL 
and of course this incredible Melbourne Football Club which have his fingerprints all over them. Melbourne fans, keep going wild. Let's play the song for you again. Thank you everyone for joining us on a huge season of In the Ballpark and we will be back for a trade wrap in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. It's a grand old flag. It's a high-flying flag. It's the emblem for me and for you. It's the emblem of the team we love, the team of the red and the blue. Every heart beats true for the red and the blue, and we sing this song to you. Sing this song to you.